Hello and welcome. This is Self-Control, How to Build a Better Life, the podcast that will inspire you to take control of your mind and your mindset to go forward and build the life that you deserve to live. On this episode, it's part one of my conversation with Jahan Satower. Jahan is an accredited cognitive behavioral therapist, hypnotherapist, mindfulness coach, and nutrition coach. He also specializes in the area of subconscious self-sabotage. Now, I really want you to take away two things from today's episode. Number one is this idea of awareness. You know, quite often we have a sense that maybe things could be better, things aren't going quite the way we'd like them to be, or we have a a nagging sense of perhaps something is wrong underneath the surface. And that's an invitation to awareness. And Jahan and I talked a lot about how you can develop awareness and how you can then move from that awareness to a place of beginning to confront uh, the problems that for a lot of the times, according to Jahan, actually lie in the subconscious um, and the beliefs that we just allow to run rampant uh, without our real conscious understanding of them. Now, beyond awareness comes the concept of mindfulness. And you've heard me talk about it on this show many times. I'm pursuing a definition and there's Nobody better than Jahan to talk about mindfulness. And truly, the back half of this episode is a is just a masterful, I would say, explanation or rumination or meditation on the idea of mindfulness. And I really do believe there's some information that Jahan provides here about what is mindfulness, um, why is it important, how can you use it to begin to solve the problems in your life. And rather than all that sort of surface level theory about what mindfulness is, he digs into the steps that you could undergo um, to pursue mindfulness, you know, to begin to make peace with yourself, to confront the limiting beliefs within you. And again, uh, Jahan's area of expertise allow you to understand how your subconscious is quite often, well, it's trying to keep you safe. It's trying to keep you um, out of harm's way, but what that leads to a lot of the time is an unconscious or an unawareness of the, the things we do and the things we think and how we in fact are harming ourselves with our thoughts and our behaviors, a lot of which are emotionally charged. And so really mindfulness becomes then an invitation to interrogate um, how our emotions warp our thoughts and how we can begin to break those apart and, and take a rational approach to building a better life. So. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. Please enjoy this one, a conversation with the very wise and always interesting Jahan Satower. All right. Well, Jahan, thanks again uh, for coming on the show. It's, it's great to see you. Uh, we spoke about a year ago and, and uh, I have more to talk to you <laughs> about and uh, I'm sure you've got some things to update us on as well. So let's, uh, let's dive in. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on again. Well, it's my pleasure. I, and so people that have listened to this show now know the sto- the legend of Jahan because Jahan taught taught me how to breathe properly and uh, I I gotta thank you again for that man that really uh, it, it's humbling in a way to to realize you weren't breathing properly but uh, to at least have someone guide you in the right direction really uh, really was uh, helpful. Well, you're welcome and you see it really didn't take that long. <laughs> it really didn't. It just took and so you know what. Maybe before we go right down the road, why don't you just reintroduce yourself to to any new listeners I have, new viewers, and what is it that you kind of offer the world, or what are you pursuing to uh, enrich the lives of others? All right. Well, I'm Jahan Sator, and I am a accredited cognitive behavioral therapist, hypnotherapist, nutrition coach, mindfulness teacher, and specialist in the area of subconscious self-sabotage. And that just means I help people of all walks of life to learn how to be mindful and allow the negative automatic thoughts about 
the events of the external world and your associated subconscious programs to come up so that they can learn to establish deep inner peace and operate from purpose and passion. That's a tall order, but you've uh, you've been pursuing it now for almost 10 years, is that right? Yeah, man. It's <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. So I guess what I want where I wanted to start was as we mentioned when I was not breathing so well and when I was not a very mindful person, my problem was that I was not even aware that I was not breathing properly. I was not even aware of the mindlessness of my life. And I've become fascinated with this idea of awareness. And, you know, I was lucky because you just flat out told me, but I wonder if some, some people go through life without developing a certain amount of awareness. And maybe, is that maybe a commonality you see with people that come to you? It's like, they're not even aware necessarily of the issues. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The majority of people, even if they know something's wrong, Mm. they have no idea what it is. Mm. And far from that, they have no idea how to do the thing. So uh, unfortunately, this is going to be a tough one to say because I don't want to knock the industry. But the majority of people that come to me prefer the fact that I do more coaching oriented style stuff than a traditional uh, therapy session. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I tend to just use the CBT and the hypnotherapy and all that stuff as tools in the kit. And Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because when people go to therapy, they feel hard done by because the first thing these days that's pushed on them is medication or sometimes it's just inappropriate questioning because that's been a complaint Mm. I've gotten. And it's like, well, you know, I can't do anything to fix that, but at least you're here now and (laughs) you know, you you have a voice in your own healing. So, um, it's interesting how many people are going in these days to Mm. get help. And really the problems that they're having are rooted in a lack of awareness, which is where the mindfulness comes in. Right. Right. And so I, I wonder if maybe, like for me, I, I or, or for others, it's like the symptoms, you know, the, what's showing, what what it is that the issue is may not be so obvious, but you have symptoms or, you know, like for me, I had problems controlling my emotion, well, my emotions at times. Well, now you've told me to monitor my breathing and emotional control became much, much easier. So I wonder, do you coach people or do you encourage people to sort of look at the symptoms like, or the outward, what can I point to that seems to signal that something is wrong? Yeah, absolutely. It's usually two things that I go through. It's um, what thoughts are you thinking? What are your emotions Mm. to those thoughts? Or vice versa, what emotions are you having and what thoughts follow them? And if nothing is coming up in particular that you can get a handle on, what in your nutrition is off? Mm. What in your environment is off? Nice. Because um, I gave you a long spiel the last time on the subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. And I'll just repeat that very quickly. Sure, sure. The subconscious mind is doing 95% of the work for you. Mm-hmm. But the subconscious mind is a hard drive. It's a perception database. It stores everything about you and everything that you think and all the beliefs that are hardwired into your DNA from the time you were in your mother's womb and before that, even in past lives, mm. as is a very common theme these days. And it's constantly surveying what's in your environment and it's looking for safety. So if there's something in your environment that doesn't make you feel safe 
and it's coming in through your visual faculties or your auditory senses, that's going to keep you on edge on a subconscious level. Subconscious is working with the limbic system and it's also working with your nutritional uptake. Mm. So in the instance that it isn't a situation where a person's having thoughts, I have to look at what do they eat? What do they drink? Um, are they using other products that have endocrine disruptors or neurotoxins in them? Mm -hmm. Are they on caffeine? Because caffeine's a, it's kind of like an antagonist to rational thinking, to be honest with you. And that's only just been coming out within the past few years in a, in a popular way. You know, before you couldn't say that because you're pushing against the caffeine industry, right? Sure. And so there's people that drink a matcha tea or have a cup of coffee and maybe they aren't regular coffee drinkers, but three days later, they have an unexplained anxiety attack or a panic attack or something, right? Wow. Yeah, so it, it, you got to look at everything that's in a person's environment. You can't just um, you can't just beat them over the head and be like, "It's the thoughts you're thinking," because that's been a common axiom as well. Sure. And while that's true, in most cases of people who don't really have, um, <laughs> I guess, panic attacks and things like that, mm -hmm. um, it's usually just based on an activating event and the consequence which is emotional and in between gotcha. there's a belief about what happened that's making you feel sick or it's making you feel panicky or whatever the case is or depressed and usually anxiety and depression go together you know oh big time big time mm -hmm. and i i often well and it doesn't matter so much but i really see that the way we think we we're very good at thinking ourselves into an anxious state or into a depressed state but it sounds to me like you're saying, now, do you, do you prioritize first? Like, let's go into your thoughts. Let's go into your, the way you've sort of become programmed and then examine the environment second? Or, or is it sort of on a case-by-case -case basis? Like, do you see that most people have just built this mental ecosystem that doesn't serve them first? You know, the majority of the time, it's both. It's your nutrition and it's your thinking. Wow. And um, very rarely is it somebody's like, oh, I'm just having these unexplained panic attacks. And I don't know why. <laughs> and it turns out that they're burning scented candles at night because they just learned to meditate. and They like the smell of it. They use Glade plugins. They really? uh, work next door to a Starbucks. And because caffeine evaporates in the air, it goes into their brain. Or they work somewhere that they're getting exposed to uh, wow. heavy, like heavy metals and stuff like that, and it sure. gets lodged in the brain. Or maybe they have mercury fillings or something. Damn. You know, yeah. So it's 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 very rarely that case, but usually, I always try to hit values because values mm. without your values, you cannot really make any decisions about anything with any great deal of clarity. And then the next thing I do is I assess what their emotional environment typically is like from day to day. Gotcha. And then if other things come up, eventually I will get to nutrition because what I found is that, again, the caffeine thing or certain other things that people eat actually demotivate them. Hmm. Any, uh, any examples on that one besides caffeine? People who eat a lot of uh, sugar, a lot of mm. wheat, mm. Um, they are consuming a lot of soy things like that those things agitate the system and they make you lose energy hmm. 
now before we go because i did want to get to nutrition because i saw is that something that you sort of recently started adding to your coaching or have you always been aware of the importance of nutrition when you coach I've always been aware of it. I've always been aware of the nutrition, both mentally and what mm. you put in your mouth. <laughs> for, for sure. For sure. I, I still think back to that, when you talk about the nutrition of the, of the mind, when you're talking about The Walking Dead, and you said, if you're watching The Walking Dead, you're going to end up you know, living The Walking Dead in your life. But I don't want to get too far into that just yet. I think that's, that's going to be good stuff for the second half. Um, I wanted to stay on awareness just insofar as to say, I really want this show to serve the people that listen to it. So let's say now that I'm, we're confronting a listener with this idea of, of maybe they are low on the self-awareness scale. What would you say without giving away all your tricks for free? What, what is a way that I can work towards awareness of myself, work towards awareness of the mental ecosystem I've built, or perhaps there's some environmental issues in my surroundings? How can I sort of tap in and, and sort of open my eyes to that? Oh, man, you know, that's a complex question because you could answer that so many different ways. Sure. And there are so many different modalities. But I always go through the breath because the breath slows everything down for you. And whether it's a nutrition or a mental problem, Mm -hmm. it kind of has similarities. Whereas it's your vagal tone, which Mm -hmm. if your vagus nerve is inflamed and that's a big nerve that's running all the way up through to the top of your head into your emotional centers right Mm. so if that's inflamed or it's not functioning the right way like somebody has a rib cage that's locked and so they don't breathe fully or if a person is asthmatic or they have some other thing that is stopping that vagus nerve from coming all the way in and touching Mm. the nervous system is on high alert right interesting so as i told you in the first episode you want to focus on the sensation of the air coming through your nasal passageway and brushing against the back of your throat on the exhale how far can you take that exhale can you exhale every last bit Mm. and when that's going on you are pushing your stomach out when you inhale and the stomach comes in Mm -hmm. and touches when you exhale Mm-hmm. And so when it comes in and it touches, then that is what determines your vagal tone. And it gets stronger over time. It actually is relatively easy to strengthen that in a quick amount of time, you know? I believe it. And truly, after we spoke that that evening, I was out walking around like I probably looked like a, I had something wrong with me because here I'm now reversing the way I thought about breathing, right? It was on the inhale, there's that expansion. And you're saying it's on the exhale that the, the vagus nerve gets... Mm-hmm. It comes in when when the belly button comes in and touches. That's mm-hmm. when the vagus nerve relaxes and okay. everything else relaxes. Your parasympathetic nervous system relaxes, and like I told you, I'm sure you you discovered when you tried it for yourself that what happens is that the thoughts rearrange themselves in terms of most pressing issue. Sure, what's the most important thing for me right now? And you can then better assess things. You can slow things down, especially if you get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, something happens and it jars you. Something major happens, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you get in a car accident or something. Mm-hmm. You can actually come down from that experience and come into awareness much faster because when you experience a trauma, your medial prefrontal cortex begins to deactivate. So it puts mm-hmm. you in a protective shell inside your mind. Mm-hmm. But when you're consciously aware, you can then uh, process things better. Right. That's, that's the beautiful thing about doing this kind of inner work is that you can call on it when you need it. Like it's, you could practice it day to day, but 
uh, it goes a long way when you truly experience a stressful situation. That's people, you know, this is not like me and you giving someone a homework assignment, right? It's like, truly, these are the tools to, to live a better life for the rest of your life. Absolutely. I mean, it's like a muscle you, you have that you can call on at all times, you know? Mm -hmm. We go to the gym, we work out all our other muscles, but we don't <laughs> work on our vagus nerve, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So I guess that segues then into this idea of mindfulness. And I, I, do you have a working definition of mindfulness or how do you sort of think about mindfulness? And that, again, big open-ended question, but... I want to say a, a few things because I actually thought sure. about this before coming on because I, oh, I knew that we're all about providing value. So I want to say some stuff about that. Mindfulness mm -hmm. is like a Swiss army knife for consciousness. Okay. Nice. A question I ask everyone is how aware are you of how aware you are? Probably mm -hmm. not very aware. Now, if you stop, both mm -hmm. you, Patrick, and the listener, and you just pay attention to your breathing and it's just feeling that coming in through your nasal passageway and you ask yourself the question what else am i aware of inside of myself mm. how many voices are talking right is a song playing in the background somewhere mm. is there a still small quiet voice whispering something did i remember to feed the cat <laughs> did i unplug the iron oh shoot is the kettle on all those things right mm -hmm. you have to become aware of that inside of you what really is my emotional state can i rate that from one to ten ten being happy and one being pretty shitty pretty shitty <laughs> right and so we have these really great sayings that are in the mindfulness world and been around for so long you know Soren Kierkegaard said of all those deceivers fear most the deceiver of your own soul so he's talking about your own mind sure um Carl Jung said everything that irritates us and others can point to us an understanding of ourselves Ernest Hemingway said you can't get away from yourself by moving from one geographical place to another <laughs> Self-awareness is about honestly evaluating your life without any attachment to it being right, wrong, good, or bad. Debbie Ford said that. Mm. Anthony DeMello said wisdom grows in proportion to one's awareness of one's ignorance. So in that instance, what is ignorance? Ignorance. Mm. What are you ignoring? Mm. We tend to be all on from the time we wake up. We have to do, we have to do, we have to do but we forget to stop and just be in the midst of that. Right. And so we miss the presence that comes with awareness. And so we are ignorant to everything else, including our own true feelings and observations about our experiences. Hmm. Daniel Goleman, one of the pioneers of emotional intelligence, said if you don't have self-awareness, you cannot regulate, you cannot empathize or build mature relationships, hmm. and you're not going very far in life. Right? Yeah. And then I say quite often that wisdom of the soul is granted to us when we can learn to mindfully blend our rational mind with our emotional mind, as well as nourish and nurture our body. That's what mindfulness is. Well, that's the best definition I've come across so far. So <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> that. 
Because you're right. It's, it's a very broad, perhaps it's as deep and as wide as what it is to be a person is what mindfulness is. It's like good luck managing all of the, all, all that you are, you know, it's much easier and you can understand why many and myself included have at times ignored the inner world or ignored the way stimulus is affecting me. And as you say, it's very convenient just to do, 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 and uh, being sort of gets forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's not, it's not a tool that can be used just lightly. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you can just be like, oh, I'll just sprinkle a little mindfulness on it. Mm, You're either all the way mindful or you're mindless. Mm. That's the interesting about it. Once you start on that journey, it's hard to not notice when you're being mindless rather than mindful. Yes. And right? a- a- any moment you slip up, it becomes it becomes not a moment of shame, but it becomes like, well, I wasn't there. So I was somewhere else and therefore I was mindless. And it's, isn't it? Now, do you, do you wonder? Well, it's so easy when you're just beginning, let's say, down this road of mindfulness to get pulled off the, off the, the trail of, of mindfulness. Have you found it now that you've been pursuing it for years? Is it easier to stay on and stay mindful for longer periods? It's easier to stay on it for me personally because I decided, I made a vow to myself mm. that I was going to stay on this path because mindfulness saved me from alcoholism and mm. it saved me from addiction and it saved me from being an anxious panicky wreck in my life it mm. saved me from self-sabotage i remember i said the subconscious mind is a perception database mm-hmm. so if you don't at least incorporate mindfulness into your daily life you're missing out on so much information on the things that you're losing right. that you are pushing away from your your experience mm. just automatically you know mm. So it saved me, it really saved my life, and I have dedicated every moment to being as mindful as possible. Now, I'm still a human being, so I still, you know, put some cuss words on somebody every once in a while. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, you know, that's just the way it goes. Right. It's, it's a thing that you take with you to the grave. Mm. 100%, 100%. Now, so now let's say someone's listening, and we want to... I mean, you've brought massive value to this point, but again, it's breathing. Okay, so I'm becoming aware of my breathing. What then would you say branches out from from breathing? Is it then? Is it the way we start to what we start to ingest? Like, would you say that mindfulness has built a certain amount of self care or self love into your personality? I never use the term self love. That's good. I felt weird saying it. Yeah, I never use the words. Self-love is in itself inherently indicating that you need to turn your focus inwards mm. to yourself. Mm. You you really can't love anyone else to the degree that you um, don't respect yourself. Mm. But you can only have so much empathy and so much compassion for yourself before it's time to put it into action in the real world. So mindfulness allows you that space to really get to know who is living inside of you? Mm. What do I believe about the world? It's about assessing your level of maturity, your worldviews, right. your automatic thoughts, your judgments, mm. your lack of patience, all these kinds of things. And, you know, we have these basic rules of mindfulness mm-hmm. where you're practicing non judgment, 
Mm. Um, non-judgment means we automatically generate these biases and assessments of everything that we are experiencing in life. And we like to label and we like to put things into categories. And when we can become aware of that, how judgmental we are, mm. then we can step back from everything that we experience to determine the truth of the situation. Mm. And that builds intuition and that builds discernment, which is something that the average person really struggles to develop. Mm. The average person that comes to work with me tells me, I have no idea what discernment is. I feel like I'm getting led down the garden path everywhere I go and being pulled in this direction and that direction. Mm. And so because the brain is operating on a comparison basis, a cognitive bias, a judgment. It's trying to compare everything to events that came before mm. to measure whether or not you're safe. So if we have a prejudice or a judgment of something, why is that? You know, for what purpose are we having this judgment? Mm -hmm. What meaning have we assigned to that, you know? And then mindfulness also builds your patience. Mm. Um, patience sounds like a simple concept, However, it's not, you know, we grow up and our parents are like, be patient. We don't know what that really means <laughs> because you know, we're kids. We're not mindful. We just want what we want now because we don't have any real concept of time. It's all distorted for us. Mm -hmm. But then we become unruly adults who don't know how to be patient with anyone. And most importantly, we don't have very much patience within ourselves for the things that we do. Most of us have negative self-talk. Mm -hmm. And we beat ourselves up over things. So patience sounds really, really easy, but it requires a lifetime of practice, even myself. But what I do know about patience is that through being mindfully aware of it, it's rooted in, in gratitude and entitlement. Mm. Interesting. It, cultivating patience is about knowing how to practice being open to every moment. And allowing things to kind of play out on their own without judgment, without forcing, without complaining, or without expecting. And those last four things are very, very critical to cultivating mindfulness because you never know the extent to which you are judgmental. And you never know the extent to which you try to effort and force other people and force yourself and mm. force society into your worldviews and right how you complain about things when you really just don't need to complain and rather accept. And, you know, there's a saying that um, the root cause of disappointment is expectations, you know? Yeah. And it's so true, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, mindfulness on a daily basis, I'm just going to go off on a tangent now, Patrick, and talk cool. for a little bit. That's what this show's mindfulness about. <laughs> uh, on a daily basis is really about mastering the beginner's mind. You have to be willing to experience everything for the very first time every single day and drop your expectations on it and become aware of the past experiences that you have had that kind of color the present moment and kind of inform how you sometimes project onto others because you would think this thing or you would do this thing or you would be this particular way or whatever the case is, right? Mm -hmm. And we usually expect that situations are supposed to be how it is in our head. And we expect that other people are going to think like us. Like right. here's an example. I remember I, many years ago when I was still a TV watcher, 
I went to watch a movie with a girlfriend and it was Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay. Now, I didn't know anything about Fifty Shades of Grey, so I watched it. It was fine to me. I had no expectations, no judgments of it. I left the theater feeling pretty contented with what I'd seen. I thought Grey was a psychopath, but, you know, hey, the girls <laughs> loved it, so I wasn't picking on him. He's right. a fictional character anyway. But if you heard the number of people that were walking through the lobby complaining about how it wasn't as good as the book, what is that? That's an expectation. Sure. Right? Yeah. So that's how easy we project our expectations onto simple things that inherently mean nothing, you know? <laughs> inherently mean nothing. Trash, <laughs> a trash movie wasn't as good as a trash book. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. But well, you make a Maybe. great point, man. And you did you want to keep going? You may if you want. Yeah, if you have something to say there, go ahead. I'll I, I'll add in some more. Sure. I wanted to jump on that idea of judgment because I think I started thinking about mindfulness as just being aware of like the present moment and the inner world. But it seems like maybe the next step, if you will, or or the sort of another part of mine of that Swiss Army knife is to be aware of how you project your inner workings onto the world at large, which is, you could say, inherently neutral. Like, we imbue all the meaning into the world, this is my point of view, because of what, as you say, what is coloring. You know, we essentially color the outside world with our inner thoughts. And in some ways, that's incredibly egocentric. And that's, when I got to that point, I was like, well, it's up to me to make meaning, but it's also, I have to sort of, roll back and say the meaning it really only exists internally for me yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) you know the the whole of the brain is a meaning making machine right we kind of just make stuff up as we go along and we expect that we're gonna fit a square peg into a round hole and it doesn't really work that way you know Mm. we can even if we're right Patrick, even if we are right when we make a judgment sure that that doesn't necessarily make it right I mean, you could judge somebody as being a criminal and it turns out, yeah, they came back two weeks later and they robbed somebody or whatever. And you were like, I told you so. <laughs> but that still only makes you look judgmental, even though you were right, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's what people are going to remember even more than the guy that robbed the place. Right. So you have to be careful with that. Uh, and the thing about judgment is that, that famous saying that when you point a finger, there's three pointing back at you. Right. Mm-hmm. So judgment is a great thing because mm-hmm. it forces us to analyze ourselves three times over before mm-hmm. we open our mouths and say something that we're going to regret saying or do something that we're going to regret doing you know before we treat another person in a dishonoring way now that leads me to trust okay intuition is what we get from mindfulness it's one of the biggest gifts that we get from mindfulness mm. and it grows the more we learn to honor our gut instinct because it takes a lot of courage in this world to trust yourself where everyone else is trying to tell you what to think and what to believe and how you should act. Mm-hmm. So a big part of taking responsibility for yourself means you have to grow in intuition through repetitive practice. Mm. Intuition is something that strengthens every day when you are mindfully aware and when you can separate the your rational thinking and, and your emotional thinking and you can kind of look at things through the cognitive behavioral model, which I mentioned briefly before mm-hmm. you have a plus b equals c a is an activating event or a trigger mm-hmm. c is the consequence usually emotional mm-hmm. and b 
is the belief that you have about that thing. Hmm. So when you're living in a way that you're like, what is it I could possibly believe about this person, this situation? How is that coloring my judgment? Hmm. How is that coloring my ability to remain calm and patient? How is that stopping me from accepting something? Then, you know, you can have a much better experience. It doesn't mean that you're going to be absent of suffering. Right. Because I think the human condition is rooted in suffering. Mm. If we didn't have suffering, there would be no impetus to grow. So it's just kind of making peace with that. And so my next point is going to be making peace. Mm. Make peace. Don't effort. Mm. That's another rule of mindfulness. So mindfulness helps you to grow in mental discipline. And it helps you to grow in emotional discipline because it, it forces you to pay attention to the way that you think, perceive, and believe all day long. Mm. It forces you to stop and pause before you act in the moment. And most importantly, it kind of points to you the reasons why you're thinking, perceiving, believing, and acting. It doesn't just stop you in your tracks. Right. It gives you more information than you would have if you were just on autopilot which is the zone that most people live in autopilot in that subconscious learned response in that limbic response mm -hmm. so making peace really means avoiding wrestling with ideas rather than being at a point of resistance inside your own head you're willing to have a conversation with yourself about what you're having in your experience come up for you and it's about coming to coming to terms with the contents of your mind, right? It is. And then when you make peace, you get self-acceptance, right? So each thing kind of leads to the other. So self-acceptance is all about where, who are you right now? And at this point in your life, who are you? Wherever you are right now in this moment, it's a result of some level of growth, either by choice mm -hmm. or from life taking you on a journey, mm -hmm. Right. Growth happens whether you like it or not. And self-acceptance is a byproduct of making peace with your flaws and your imperfections while you're learning to every day to be more and more aware of them and careful with them. And you're willing to do what it takes to change those things. So self-acceptance is also a values-based activity. Mm. Mm -hmm. And our values give us a platform to operate from in life and nice. assure that we don't spend so much time sweating the small stuff mm -hmm. we accept ourselves to the degree that we honor what we value the most mm. right and i could say a common example like people pleasing when we don't value ourselves we people please because we value the opinions of other people mm. and instead we're going against our value system because maybe we are trading integrity to please someone else Maybe we're tra trading authenticity and honesty and openness and assertiveness and truth and caring and all the values in order to please someone else. Whereas most people would actually be happier if you stayed within your integrity. Right? right. Those people who don't want you to be in integrity, those people are narcissists. Run away. Like, that's yeah, yeah, pretty exactly. simple. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, <laughs> you know what? It strikes me, Jahan, like this process of mindfulness, you could say it's like a it's a, a positive worldview, as in it's positive in the sense of it is what is real. It is what is materially present within you. Whereas the opposite of all that is is the, is a, a, is sort of it's negativity. It's seeing yourself for what you're not. It's seeing things for, for what they should be. It's... And I really feel like the more I think about this, we're, 
we're in a pandemic almost of, of mindlessness, but also a pandemic of negativity or a pandemic of expectation about. And then you have to worry about the way these expectations are being formed. It's, it's, I mean, I have no easy answer for it, but I just, I guess I would say I'm blessed to have, to have met people like you who I can at least start to think about the world and be okay with me for me rather than everything else that's not you know you can get so carried away on what's not because that's beyond infinite yeah it's it's a, about breaking down the barriers between yourself and acceptance of mm. all things and it doesn't mean that you let the world walk all over you patrick or it doesn't mean that you endorse bad behavior or wrong politically correct ideologies that are causing harm mm -hmm. it does it just means that you accept and appreciate things for what they are right now and not what you expect they should be mm. acceptance has nothing to do with discarding your values it means that you just make peace with everything that is at this time and you put aside the feelings of entitlement that you have mm. about things being different and you have the choice as to what you want to condone or reject or whatever but moving towards acceptance gives you a better space to operate from let's say somebody loses a family member it's you you know you lose a family member god forbid are you going to deal with that in a mindless manner which is all suffering mm. or are you going to deal with that in a mindful manner where there's plenty of love and appreciation and good memories and what is the benefit of that person? Were they in suffering? What was going on in their life? Mm -hmm. How did they live their lives? How can you seek first to understand, as the saying goes? Seek, seek first to understand above all things, you know? Right. And, you know, yeah. acceptance of others. You know, acceptance of others is key. <laughs> Other <laughs> people are going to test you constantly, especially in these times where things seem to be getting a little bit weirder at an accelerated <laughs> rate, right? So you need mindfulness now more than ever mm -hmm. because accepting people unconditionally, it doesn't mean that people get a free pass for the things that they do that right. cause harm. And it, it just means you become aware that they're also like you and you want to treat them in the way that you would want to be treated because dishonoring someone is never the right move. People don't learn lessons when you dishonor them. Hmm. You know, there's a saying in, in the world of behavior that when you see a behavior, that's never the first time and hmm. that time you see it that's never the cause you don't know wow. what it is that triggered that behavior and you don't know if it's a learned response or a rehearsed response because something terrible happened to that person that's how they learn to cope with things so you have to run through that spectrum of possibilities first before you run you know go into persecution mode right. people might act crazy sometimes but you're not entitled to them acting how you think they should act right, right? We're not really entitled to anything. You're not entitled to anything. And you're not entitled to Im imagining that you have affected this person so profoundly that they just did that for the first time because of you. Exactly. So exactly. I want to then, well, I mean, we'll just keep it rolling, but your, some of the work you do is you call it subconscious self-sabotage. You, you seek to help people reprogram mm -hmm. through that. And that's a huge part of your brand, right? That's a huge yeah. pursuit of yours. Yeah. I guess... Well, one thing I wanted to, I, that occurred to me was like, you said we need mindfulness now more than ever. Do you ever, just as a thought experiment, imagine a thousand years ago or 200 years ago when modern society was nowhere near what it is now? Do you think that was, I mean, and survival was paramount then. So maybe mindfulness wasn't even uh, a luxury. Maybe it was a luxury back then. You know what I'm saying? Like we've built a world now where 
mindfulness is, is stripped from us is what I'm trying to say. Mindfulness has always been a solution. Look yeah. at some of the great minds that I mentioned in, with those quotes earlier, you know. Mm -hmm. So we had the greatest philosophers in the world, Marcus Aurelius and, sure. and people like that who were telling us you got to be mindful. You have to know your yourself. So I think to a certain extent you're right. We were more in survival mode then, but we also had less programs because if you want to talk about subconscious self-sabotage, everything we do is based on a program. Does the program serve us or does it serve survival mode? Mm -hmm. Right? And that's where the things like anxiety and depression that are triggered by external sources via the diet or whatever it is, um, that's where that comes into play because oftentimes when you're in that realm, you don't know what the story is that you're dealing with. Sometimes we go to like psychotherapy and mm -hmm. they say, oh, it's because this thing happened when you were a child in, in your early childhood. But is it really that or is it that you watched Stranger Things one too many times and now you have <laughs> programs that are causing you to live an episode of Stranger Things? You know, it's... Do you do you um, do you have ways that you operate within your relationships because you learned it from friends mm. or because you read it somewhere, you know? And in your coaching, do you find that to be true? Is like because of course, yeah, because psychotherapy <laughs> is all about that childhood trauma, and I think there's some utility in maybe personally reprocessing your childhood experiences. Maybe not with some some shrink if you will but i guess so you're saying that it's not uncommon for more recent uh occurrences to be running the programs than something that happened 20 years ago yeah when you put someone in a hypnotic trance and they're relaxed and they begin to view their life differently mm -hmm. you realize how much things that they're upset about mm. in this present moment that was really a fabrication of the mind by default. It was mm -hmm. a memory distortion. You know, wow. the, the subconscious is taking in trillions of bits of information per second, sure. whereas the conscious mind's only taking in about 100, 140 or so. Right. So um, if you look around your room right now, that's probably more than 140 bits of information. Mm -hmm. So in everybody's life on average, let's say it's like an effect where they're zipping down a highway and there's billboards flying past. Mm. That's a lot of information that's going in <laughs> to the subconscious mind. And so life is going to continually present you with a lot of information. And so you will act on things that you don't even know happened. You don't remember happened. Wow. And the mind is deleting the majority of your experiences. So you remember things oftentimes way different to the way that they were and there's a lot of uh instances in traditional talk therapy where sometimes with the assistance of the psychologist or the shrink or whatever you want to call them <laughs> they end up fabricating things that didn't happen you know they blame wow. their father for something that their father didn't really do so the thing about the subconscious mind is that in hypnotherapy you can't tell a lie mm. In hypnotherapy, you access those deep levels of mind that recorded everything through the subconscious and you get a complete playback of it and you kind of go, oh, that's where I got that from. Wow. You know? <laughs> now, that's, now, how do you come out on, on EMDR therapy? Do you use that at all or is that... 
I don't personally use EMDR. I know it does have its applications, and I've met plenty of people who say it didn't work for them. Didn't and that could be for many reasons. It could just not be the right mm -hmm. way of accessing information for them, or it could just have been an unskilled uh, helper. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it could be that. No, that's that's fascinating, man. So you're, you've had experiences then where you have someone in a hypnotic trance, and they not only – so it's like not only were they not fully understanding – their issues but they had actually begun to understand them in the wrong way and they hadn't gotten to that sort of root of the subconscious where that stuff was residing yeah which leads us to a great question how many times did you make an incorrect interpretation of something in your daily life and it, it caused you problems right so the subconscious is making interpretations for you mm -hmm. in the instance of the anxiety thing well anxiety is one of these unique things mm -hmm. where you there's thousands of different types of anxiety it could right. be coming from anywhere and your experience is unique to you mm -hmm. and you never know because it's not always just based on anchoring or triggering it could be like i said again caffeine or neurotoxin mm -hmm. induced Mm -hmm. And the limbic system is freaking out because the limbic system saying, oh, God, oh, God, <laughs> help me. I'm under attack. Right. And, and that's the language of the limbic system, right? <laughs> so when you're in stress like that, the subconscious mind hijacks your whole consciousness and it plays out any programs of stress that you have. So you, you could be potentially like I've had this happen. Let's give a specific example. Sure. I've had someone who was having a problem in their relationship and they were pushing the person away mm -hmm. and they started to get really snappy and they started thinking about leaving the person and we talked about it for a while and we couldn't figure it out through regular um talk therapy and basically i was listening to the things that they were saying that kept pointing to the direction that there's some subconscious program that says, I am not safe to be happy in a relationship. Hmm. Right? And okay. they, their parents were happily married, still married. They didn't have any instances that they could think of where they learned that. Okay. And it, we decided that it must have come from other external influences. Hmm. Whether it was the TV or not, we actually didn't go there. I just decided to skip past all that because that's, that's actually not important at the end of the day it's mm. about getting into that subconscious and changing that to it's safe to be in a healthy happy relationship uh, i feel uh, it's safe to feel loved and supported mm -hmm. by a partner you know sure the language of the subconscious mind is very interesting because a lot of the times we'll get very involved in personal development and we'll do affirmations mm. <laughs> and we'll be like i i am good enough i am enough We'll jump around in front of the mirror. We'll, you know, if you're a girl, you'll write I am enough on your mirror and red lipstick. And it does nothing for you because the subconscious mind just keeps saying, that's not what's in here. <laughs> and you say, "I, but I am enough. And the subconscious mind goes, mm -mm. nope, mm, no. nope. Uh, and it pushes against that. Mm. You can't, there's something called the law of reversed effect in hypnotherapy and it says that you can't consciously will subconscious information you can't override it no matter what you do mm. so it's always important that if you suspect that the reason why you wake up in the morning and and you you want to starve yourself or before bed you're hungry and you eat a whole pizza mm. and you know you're on a, a diet and you know you want to lose a certain amount of weight or 
you every time you get money in your hand it just runs through your fingers like water or sure you know you do anything you do that ruins your best chances mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta be courageous enough to talk to somebody and see if they can help you figure out why that is you yourself sabotaging and you're gonna live an unhappy life and you're gonna reach a certain age and you're gonna be like wow i wish things worked out differently but you're not gonna know how to really self-assess and you're not going to know what it is that you were doing you could still be doing those things on your deathbed you know well well you're absolutely right and in small ways i see it in myself where it's like i i know that this is something that it's not fully detrimental but it's still an urge in me that i cannot i can't purge that urge you know what i mean and maybe then that's a good a good invitation for me to do what you're saying and, and get some kind of coaching on a subconscious uh, level so is it fair to say that like psychotherapy and all that is is really not probing deep enough in a lot of instances it isn't and mm. in a lot of instances um they don't take into consideration the whole person mm. and i'm not saying that to diss psychotherapy sure. or anything like that even though I, I am known for doing that <laughs> because <laughs> i see because i see the 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 fruits or rather the no harvest of mm. what people get from going to that and i do see the way that things are are going it seems to have been hijacked by big pharma Mm, and um most people don't want to be on medication and um the thing about it is is that we can't say for certainty what exactly is happening within the context of every helping modality in every session it depends on both parties it depends on the therapist that's giving the session Mm. how interested really are they in helping (laughs) that person Mm -hmm. and for the other person how interested are they in doing better rather than just feeling better because Mm. on the surface and i don't want to blame the victim most people just want to feel better Mm. but they don't understand that feeling better requires deep change Mm. it requires sacrifice it requires doing a lot of things differently than the way that they were before. A lot of people will come to me and they just want to know how they can do the same thing in different ways and not feel bad about it, you know? And that's unfortunate to say, but it is something that happens because it it shows you contrast between people. Some people come to me and it's like light and dark, complete contrast. Some people are all on and they want to... Um, do everything possible to change everything about their lives. Mm -hmm. And then there are others that are just like, I just want to change a little bit, but I want the whole thing to change. (laughs) But can I just like take out one Jenga square and, you know, everything else will be fine. I don't want to topple the whole thing. Right. I hate to do that much work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, but, ah, you know, gosh, I've done so much work already. Do I really need to do that? Yeah. Can we just skip that? I, there really is a lot of that out there. Really, eh? And that's yeah. people that come to you and it's like, well, that's it. They want to feel better and not do better. And that, But that shouldn't mm-hmm. be, in some ways, that really shouldn't be too surprising if we look around the world that we've built for ourselves today. Instant, yeah. instant gratification. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, not a lot of inner work not a lot of shadow work is instantly <laughs> gratifying it doesn't no. feel good it, it'll feel good maybe a couple of weeks or a month or so down the road mm-hmm. but it's not going to feel good on the first try and um 
it's just it is so vast honestly patrick that mm. i can't just nail down any one set of things that i could say about that process it takes a particular type of person with right. a particular type of resolve to and, and as well a particular amount of courage mm -hmm. to call up a therapist or a coach or somebody like that and say hey i think i'm having this problem i'm willing to do anything that you say to do you know yeah right to, to put that right. trust in another person for one thing but to mm -hmm. even yeah. to even to even want to reckon with the problem, right? Because that's like going into battle. Exactly. And you know, back to the anxiety thing again, people have gotten to this stage where they're so scared that they'll just do anything mm. to make it stop. And so they want to have that label that uh -huh. I have anxiety. And the thing about it is, is that once there's a problem until you own that problem fully and you're willing to take 100% responsibility for creating it because it's your body, it's your mind, mm. and it's your actions that get you the results that you have in your life. Until a person is willing to look at all three of those things and be like, yeah, I am actually everywhere that I am, though <laughs> I'm doing that. <laughs> um, and they just decide i'm not going to rely on medication yeah. to fix me mm. i'm not going to rely on anybody else to fix me i'm going to take matters in my own hand till you reach that point you're going to chase your tail forever you know and we have to have compassion for these people because you get to that point by being scared mm. that much fear is what keeps you stuck in your life to where yeah, i don't want to put it this way but this is essentially what it is this is the truth we categorize people we put them in boxes yep. and along with those boxes we're silently saying you will never ever be any better than you are and the other person believes that and there's people out there that believe young kids especially it breaks my heart man they believe that i am always going to be this way right and that's such a juvenile mindset because you know as, as you've gotten older patrick you've realized hey things that I thought were going to be constant in my life, they're no longer that way, you know? Mm -hmm. So why does a set of emotional responses have to be a lifelong sentence, you know? Why does it have to be like that? And I would urge anybody that's listening to this, ask yourself that question. Right. Why does an emotion have to be an illness? Thank you for listening to this episode of Self-Control, How to Build a Better Life. I hope you found Jahan's uh, breakdown of mindfulness very, uh, very useful. You know, I hope that you can maybe put that Swiss army knife of consciousness uh, to use in your own life and begin to, you know, find acceptance. And I, I know I'm striving to do these things as well. Find acceptance, make peace, learn to uh, judge a little less, have less expectations and begin to uh, live a bit more rational and less emotionally driven life. Um, if you believe that a better life is possible, perhaps mindfulness is something like the, the workshop where we go to work uh, to build that better life. So let's all uh, listen to Jahan's words and take stock of our breath, take stock of what we're thinking and, and, and take that next step forward to building a better life. So 
Part two of this conversation will be out next week, so keep it here for that. Uh, as you can see, we're starting to talk a little bit about how uh, people quite often, and myself included at times, um, wear the label of their of their mental illness uh, and wear it as a life sentence. Uh, in fact, mindfulness can even be a step towards breaking those chains and, and defining yourself uh, for who you want to be and taking a positive, rational step forward. Very personal information about his life and his struggles and how it led him uh, to where he is, uh, as well some really interesting concepts and why manifestation might be bullshit, uh, as well as why you need to stop drinking coffee. So all that stuff, it's kind of hard to hear, it's controversial perhaps, but Jahan is is more than happy to, uh, to go down that road and, and again, help us take a rational, positive step forward into building a better life. So until then, and until I speak with you again, Please remember that better is possible.